Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. What's up, everybody? Welcome aboard Must Read Alaska, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. Hey, we have a great show for you today, and I just want to remind everybody that last year, the big news was the impeachment. And you remember how Lisa Murkowski, in the end, voted to not convict Donald Trump on the two charges that they had against him from, the, from Nancy Pelosi and the House she voted to not convict. And we're going to talk about that today on the Must Read Alaska show. And we're going to discuss where that Lisa Murkowski has gone, because we, that, we've got a different Lisa this year. And of course, we know next year is election year for her. But I want to say that this is a reader-driven and it's a listener-driven conservative news project about Alaska for Alaskans. We keep the mainstream media on their toes. I don't know why we call it the mainstream media. It really is the left stream activist media. And I'm Suzanne Downing. My co-host is John Quick. He's on the other mic in Nikiski. We've got a lot going on today. It's a it's minus one degree in Fairbanks and it's about 25 degrees in Juneau. But John, how cold is it there on the Kenai Peninsula? Are you guys still sledding? Or are you in like the 30s now? No, we're uh, we're cruising in on the 20s, so we're just kind of living the dream. I'm in a t-shirt today, so you know, nice. it's pretty warm here. Uh, but on the Kenai Peninsula, we uh, you know we have some rumblings happening. You know, each week I seem to be giving an update on what the latest and greatest is with the school district. And this week I come to you with some uh, conservative news, some conservative hope for those of you out in the audience who are in a school district. Maybe your kids hadn't gone to school in a while. Maybe their school district is forcing your kids to wear a mask while playing a varsity basketball game, and you think it's ridiculous. Here's what I'm here to tell you to say is there is hope for you. Uh, our mayor, Mayor Charlie Pierce, has pushed back against the school district's nonsense in the way where it can cause the most amount of change, and that is in their budget. So the school district came to the assembly and to the mayor and requested an amount for the money here in the Kenai Peninsula Borough. And you would have thought that this amount would have been less than what it was last year. One, because of COVID. Two, because kids weren't in school. Three, because sales tax, which is how schools are funded here in the Kenai Peninsula Borough, is down by 15%. So you would have thought, okay, they're going to come to us with a number that's less than what it was last year, and it's a number we can work with. Well, nope. They came with a number higher than last year. They want Much more higher. money, uh, about $3 million more higher. Wow, they requested $53 million and some change. And uh, Mayor Pierce and his administration counteroffered. And for the first time ever in the history of the Kenai Peninsula Borough, the, the counteroffer is in line with where the sales tax and where the actual budget constraints are happening. And he counteroffered with $43 million, $10 million difference. Nice. And so he's literally standing in the gap for all the parents out there that are sick and tired of what's happened to their kids, their kids' classroom, their kids' sports. And a lot of the teachers out there, frankly, 
are just as annoyed as the students and as the parents are. They want to be in this in their classrooms teaching these kids. And so you're going to see the red wave coming to the assembly meetings uh, in the form of the the in the you know getting pushed through the door by the union leadership to say we need this 53 million dollars and without this 53 million dollars our schools will close down. And so uh, I want to encourage parents to stay involved and to to know that they can make a difference and they do make a difference. And for folks specifically on the Kenai Peninsula Borough, email your assembly person and let them know that this year's school budget has to align with the fact that we have a 17% decrease in sales tax and revenue. So money's not falling from the sky. And uh, this is probably what they're going to get this year. So they also get uh, money from the state, the, the state government as well. This isn't the only way that they fund their schools. Yeah, they get money from the state and they get some federal money as well. And, you know, we do have one of the largest school districts geographically, you know, in the U.S. And, and uh, we have a, a ton of schools and a ton of teachers. And the way that the budget is going to go is going to be interesting because last year, uh, Norm Blakely, who was an assembly person who termed out, said, hey, hey, wait, we have a conflict of interest here because there is a current teacher that's an assembly person that's voting mm -hmm. on the budget. And not only is he an, an assembly person and a teacher, he's actually one of the lead negotiators on the union's team. And Norm Blakely made an awesome point to say, hey, this is a big conflict of interest. And he, he, uh, he uh, gave an example of Charlie Pierce recusing himself of anything it has to do with ACS because his wife works for ACS. Charlie doesn't even work for ACS. He doesn't have anything to do with ACS, but yet Charlie recuses himself when he was on the assembly, if anything ACS related or if anything NSTAR related. And Norm Blakely brought up this point, the assembly voted on it, even though $38 million of the $50 million that the borough allocates goes directly to wages, they said there was no conflict, two to five, it failed. Mm. And uh, you'll see that brought up again, I think this year. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a big majority of folks out there that are saying this is inappropriate for a teacher who's a negotiator to vote on $53 million that directly affects their wages, so. Well, I just did the math on this. So your, your school district, uh, your taxes alone in the borough are chipping in $6,000 per student. Plus you get the, the federal and the state money. So um, you, you guys are chipping in a lot of money. And especially I would assume because the uh, number of students has dropped dramatically because people are opting for homeschool or correspondence outside of the district. Yep, it's like uh, the exact math is, is better than what I'm gonna give you right now, but it's something like $15,000 per student in the district mm -hmm. is what the overall cost is which is yeah. one of the highest costs in the whole U.S. per student. Sure. And we have one of the lowest test scores and one of the lowest, lowest reading rates of any district in the whole U.S. So uh, throwing money at the problem doesn't fix it. All right. Well, that's, a, that's the news from the Kenai Peninsula where, you know, all the women are strong and the men are good looking, of course. The children are apparently <laughs> below average, but that's true with all of that's our kids in Alaska. Now, listen, I, I'm a, a product of the public schools in Alaska, so we, we can't be too hard on them because that would be me. But I graduated a long, long time ago. And, and, and when I graduated, believe it or not, Alaska was at the top of the nation. We were like number two, number three in the nation for scores. Our, our schools were really considered to be good. 
and now we are at the bottom. So this is not a good sign. Well, we're we're still at the top of the nation. We're just top of the nation geographically, not test score wise. <laughs> there you go. We're not keeping up with our geography here. So listen, I wanted to uh, turn this topic of this podcast today, John, to something that everybody's talking about, and I cannot keep up with all of the comments at the mustreadalaska.com website on this topic, because people are pretty fired up about Lisa Murkowski and her vote. And her vote was on Saturday, and she she voted to uh, convict the president, uh, the former president, of one count of um, some sort of impeachable offense that they said he incited a riot. Well, we've had a, a signing of Lisa Murkowski in Juneau today. I'm not there, but I heard that she's um, she's in Juneau and she's having a drink with somebody in the Coast Guard today. So um, I don't know when she'll be speaking to the House and Senate in joint session because uh, right now the House is unorganized. And actually, they're supposed to be pulling themselves together right about now when we're taping our show. But um, it would be awkward for her because I got to say, all of the Democrats would stand up and cheer her and all the Republicans would sit there and look glum. So it's really kind of awkward for her to um, to go now. I hope she waits for a few weeks to go and speak to the House and Senate in joint session. But, um, you know, I just want to remind everybody that it was just a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, that Lisa Murkowski announced that she cannot vote to convict President Donald Trump. But, you know, she went ahead and talked about how the things that he did last year were shameful and wrong. We all know she doesn't like him. Her body language tells it all. She cannot hide that. But in remarks last year after the acquittal of Trump, she just said, look, his his behavior was shameful and wrong. His personal interests do not take precedence over those of this great nation. And the president has a responsibility to uphold the integrity and honor of the office, not just for himself, but for all future presidents. And basically, um, she said that he degraded the office, and he name called, and and um, that he weakened the country. But, but she still said it wasn't impeachable, and that even before last year's impeachment circus, she said, "Look at all of these people in the Senate who are voting to convict him." They are not going into this with an open mind. The House just rushed through it. It was always a circus. And she basically said this should have been one of the most serious consequential undertakings of a legislative branch. And instead, the House failed in its responsibilities and the Senate. The Senate should be ashamed by the rank partisanship that's been on display here. That was a year ago. So what happened to that, Lisa? Because I watched a uh, a tape of her on C-SPAN, and that was on Friday. And she, she basically said that she described to the reporter that she was really traumatized by the events that happened on January 6th. And you and I weren't in that Capitol building. We don't know what it was like to sort of hear the mob um, entering the building. And it must have been frightening because they were trapped as lawmakers and they had to be ushered out. And there was a lot of chaos. And this was unusual. It never happened before. This was a, a, a very bad situation. It was a protest that broke out into a riot in that essentially pushed through the barricades at the Capitol. And you had a, probably a couple of thousand people participating at the front. Everybody coming up from behind didn't know what was going on. They, they, they didn't have a clue that it was, um, that they had breached it illegally, that they were, they were inside the Capitol illegally. Um, and so, the people streaming behind them, they just kind of wandered in. But there were there were people in there that obviously had some planned strategy to do what they did. But this is Murkowski being a victim. 
And she basically declared herself as a victim of it and all her colleagues. And now for some reason, she thinks that being a victim makes her the legitimate juror in what is essentially a kangaroo court. So you got a year later, there's a completely different message than what she had the last year, which was uh, this time he, and she said he incited an insurrection. And um, she said this time, the, you know, this was not, a, not partisan, but for, here's her quote. For months, the president has perpetuated false rhetoric that the election was stolen and rigged, even after dozens of courts ruled against these claims. When he was not able to persuade the courts or elected officials, he launched a pressure campaign against his own vice president, urging him to take action he had no authority to do. And on the day of the riots, the president's own words incited violence, which led to the injury and death of Americans. Now, what he did was he exercised his free speech rights, and we know what he said was, go to the Capitol, fight for what you believe in, go peacefully, go patriotically. And he said those words, was peacefully, patriotically. Now, I want to make sure that the listeners understand that I think he made a big mistake in his speech. I don't think what he did was wise. I think he misread the crowd. Um, there, you know, you've got to read the room. And he if he didn't understand that Americans are angry and um, when you have a, a crowd that's angry, things can happen. And I think that he was unwise in, his, in, in giving the speech that he should have told people, I want you to stay here, just, just protest here. But to send them to the Capitol was probably not a wise decision because he can't control what happened then. Now, it was the Capitol Police John, that was at fault. It was Nancy Pelosi and the, you know, the, the Senate that was at fault for not calling on the National Guard for backup, for not calling the DC police for backup. Yeah, I mean, there's videos of the there's a video in particular of this gentleman. He's in a mega hat and a and a Trump shirt. And he goes up to the DC police at the White House and says, Where is your backup? Why are you not calling for backup? Why are you letting these people into the White House? Or I mean, into the Capitol building? Why are you not calling for backup? You're letting this happen. And you see the police just shrug their shoulders and hiding, you know, quote unquote, hiding behind a corner doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is bad that they went in there and they broke stuff and they made people feel uncomfortable and they made people feel like they're, you know, that their lives were in danger. I do not advocate for any of that. But where were the where was Lisa Murkowski's outrage when America was burning down for six to nine months? Mm -hmm. Literally every major city in the U.S. was burning to the ground. Minority yeah. business owners, businesses, generations, three to four generations of business businesses that were owned in minority communities were burning to the ground. And what we heard from folks in D.C. was, oh, that's just a myth. Oh, that's not actually happening. That's mm -hmm. Antifa doesn't exist. That's just a ideology. You know, that's just a thought process. And so I think that even fuels more fire on conservatives who feel like, where were these people? When literally in Alaska, we were fortunate enough to where that didn't happen to us. We're one of the only states where it didn't happen to us. But in places like Seattle and Minnesota and just, you know, basically every major city across the whole U.S., conservatives and liberals, businesses burned to the ground. And these people sat and did nothing because they were scared they were going to get caught by the woke police and mm -hmm. they didn't want to do that. 
And that's unfortunate to me. It, it makes her statements fall on deaf ears to me because where was she for six months? I can understand you're upset about one event that happened. That's understandable. But where were you when hundreds and hundreds of events happened where people lost their livelihoods and people were murdered in the streets all across the U.S. and you everybody sat back and did nothing? Yeah, yeah so that's not that acceptable. Is- and so that gets back to how she, you know, she had a very emotional response to it. She was obviously fearful. A lot of them were fearful. And I'm not saying that it wasn't real. I, I have heard from people that were inside the building and it was, uh, it was very frightening because this is, they didn't see any enough protection for themselves. But last year she said, you know, the, the constitution provides for impeachment that doesn't demand it in all instances. And she said the House could have pursued censure and not immediately jumped to the last remedy of resort, which is impeachment. I can't vote to convict. Well, this year she was the victim. She played the victim and and so she became the juror. And I I just think that that is, uh, is awkward for her. And what I think is especially awkward is that this year is she's going into this year is her election year. I mean, it's 2021. But the uh, the election for her, you know, re-election, it's a six-year term, will start in August, essentially. I mean, that's when, by then, anybody who's going to challenge her will probably have uh, filed for office. And she's she's um, she's probably going to be staring at uh, some sort of a challenge for her primary because I think that people in the on the Republican side are pretty upset about this. I mean, she she voted for, you know, on, on the Kavanaugh vote, I think we have to remember that she voted present. She didn't vote for um, Brett Kavanaugh to be uh, nominated to the Supreme Court. And then when Amy Coney Barrett was nominated, she, she voted for her, but it was with great reluctance. You could tell she had no interest in, in having her on the court because, you know, she's ultimately really a moderate, I got to say. She, you know, I know it's going to be no surprise to listeners that, for me to say that Lisa's a moderate, but she really is. She's right down the middle. She's not a flaming liberal, but, but I, I got to say, this is a, her behavior it, as she goes into an election cycle. Then I don't think the voters are going to forget this. She said, when President Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, breached both chambers of Congress, and interrupted the certification of electoral college votes, he took no action for hours. The evidence presented at the trial was clear. President Trump was watching events unfold live, just as the entire country was. You know, she's making a huge mistake here. There There was a lot that he didn't know, that he couldn't see. And that it, it was up to the Capitol to actually, you know, get the police protection up there. It was up to the mayor to send in the National Guard. It was up to others to do that. And they didn't act. They just sat there and let it happen, as you pointed out. So I'm not so sure, you know, what what she's thinking. But um, I think this is a really difficult thing for her. We're in really a dangerous place, John, when you know, your senators will impeach a private citizen, somebody who's no longer president of the United States is now getting impeached for exercising his constitutional rights, which was to give a speech. It's not like he yelled fire in a crowded theater. He just said, go peacefully and patriotically and protest this election. And quite honestly, what he said was, is agreed with by many, many people who are, who feel that the election was stolen. 
And about, you know, 73 million people, 74 million people think that this election was, was rigged. And they're right, it was. I mean, I don't know if there were enough votes to switch it the other way, but this election, it was, it has a bad smell all over it. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of her uh, vote against Trump is to save some face with the Alaska Democrats. The Alaska Democrats posted to their Facebook a number of months ago saying this, that Lisa Murkowski holds her seat only because she was she convinced Democrats to write in her name in an act of faith. This is what the Alaska Democrats posted to their own page and saying that she is only in her seat because they posted her write-in name in good faith. And I think she's trying to channel back to uh, get in some good graces there because what Donald Trump, Trump said, I believe he said this a couple of years ago, he said, few people know where they'll be in two years from now, but I do in the great state of Alaska campaigning against Lisa Murkowski. Hmm. And he, mm -hmm. he said that, and he, I want to love it when he comes up here and campaigns, you know, anytime he's campaigning in Alaska is going to be awesome. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think uh, you'll see somebody, you know, like you said, uh, give her a run for her money. And again, this is nothing against her personally. I just disagree with her policies and uh, some of her policies and her decision to convict Trump. Um, I don't think I don't agree with that at all. Yeah, she said uh, I, was, I was looking at Politico and she basically said, if I can't say what I believe that our president should stand for, then why should I ask Alaska's to stand with me? And this is what she said to Politico magazine. And uh, she said, this was consequential on many levels, but I cannot allow the significance of my vote to be devalued by whether or not I feel that this was helpful for my political ambitions. Well, okay then. I mean, that's all I can say is that, you know, there are people who are getting ready right now to launch campaigns against her. And if they are out there listening to this podcast, they had better be ready because Murkowski, let me tell you, she brings, I know that you're saying that, the, that the, she's trying to get back in the good graces of the Democrats. I don't know that she can do that. Um, quite honestly, I think they're done with her. Yeah. And they've got this ranked choice voting thing now so that they're, they're, they're probably going to put somebody up against her. But anybody who challenges Murkowski, she's, they're going up against Mitch McConnell. And let me tell you, one call from him will dry up all the donations to any challenger. That is just the way they roll. Because Mitch is going to say, we are going to get back the Senate. We already have Murkowski. We need to not put our money there. We need to put our money on these other seats that we need to win back. And we need to win back. Um, and, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know which seats are up in the same year as Murkowski, but let me tell you, that's where the money's gonna go. So uh, you've gotta have a serious, a very serious campaign and you better have some national money. You better have the club for growth behind you and some other big names behind you. And it's gonna be, tens of millions of dollars. Oh yeah, it's going to be nuts. People thought Al Gross and that campaign got, you know, out in left field. This is going to be times 10. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she does some really good opposition research. I tell you, I've seen it and it is, it is uh, no holds barred. She, if she'll get a notebook together on her opponents and it will be ugly and they will use it. But, you know, Alaska was won by Trump by 10 points in 2020. And that is a, a sign that uh, the state's really not going to be real thrilled with her vote. Because I, I think Alaskans are still standing pretty strong for, for Donald Trump. We'll just see. Um, you know, we'll just see what she does. Uh, she's been all over the map in the past. And it wouldn't surprise me if she just 
uh, finds a way to cloy her way back into the, uh, the hearts of Alaska moderate Republicans. Those independents are uh, sometimes don't read between the lines. <laughs> So listen, um, you know, I want to remind everybody, we're going to take a break here and remind everybody to, uh, to go to mustreadalaska.com, sign up for the newsletter, and you're going to get all this great content. We will um, include you in on the Club MRAC, which is our daily bulletin that we're having from the halls of the Capitol. Now, I'm not in the Capitol. I haven't made it to general yet. I'm probably not going to make it there till March. I'm doing some medical stuff this month. And so... I'm, uh, but I've got people there and we're taking notes and I'm watching it and I'm taking notes and, and I'm putting out a, a daily bulletin on what's going on in the Capitol. And it's pretty good. I'm getting a lot of great feedback on it and I uh, really appreciate all the feedback I've been getting. So if you're interested, folks, make sure you do that and do tune in tomorrow when Chief Justice Joel Bolger is going to address the Joint Senate and House. Now he'll be addressing the Senate tomorrow. And apparently the House members are gonna to have to watch from their offices because they're not organized yet. So they really cannot invite him into the House evidently. But this is at 11 o'clock, not tomorrow, I'm sorry, on February 17th. Can I just correct that, uh, correct that record there? So it is gonna be on February 17th, which is Wednesday. So you can see it on AKLEG TV, um, AKLEG.TV online, which is where I watch it, but you can also see it on, um, on like the arcs and, and other places as well. Now the Chief Justice Bolger, he is, uh, he, you know, he's, he's leaving early. He was uh, in trouble because he breached some ethics and he got scolded for it. And now he's retiring and he's retiring quite early you know, 10 years before he needs to. And it's, he's been a little bit spanked. So it'll be interesting to see if, if this year he lectures the governor like he has in the past. So um, do, do watch that, I think it'll be interesting. And while we're at it, um, be sure to tune in midweek. I want everybody to remember that we've got a great podcast that Scott Levesque does. He's, a, he's our midweek host show and he does a, a show host and he does a great job. Usually it's up by Thursday morning, sometimes uh, by Wednesday evening, but please, please check that out. And Scott, thank you for all your work on that. Now, before we go, I do want to talk about the House organization. It is a mess. And uh, this, this is just still early in the week. It could resolve today. But what I have heard from inside the building is that there are 19 Republicans who are holding strong. They are not Bending, and that includes Representative Thompson and Representative LeBon from Anchor from Fairbanks, who some people thought might be a flight risk, might fly, now I fly over to the Democrats. Apparently, no. And there was a caucus for um, the House Republicans this morning at ten. Now, those two weren't there; they were on a plane. They were getting into town. Um, the House was supposed to to go into session at two p.m. this today, Monday, but you know, three p.m. It looked like they were going to maybe gavel in. I don't know what's going on at the moment, but. Everybody's all eyes are on Kelly Merrick from Eagle River. And is she going to become a Democrat? Now, what happened today, she got she flew down on the early morning flight, and Representative Zach Fields, hardline Democrat from Anchorage, from Anchorage, a big union uh, guy who used to work for her husband, for Kelly's husband at the laborers. Um, he carpooled with her to the Capitol uh, in the middle of the day. And um so it looks to me like the unions have assigned a minder for her to keep her in line. And she is, uh, that's kind of looks like it's her new friends. But I got to just tell you, Eagle River, I checked the numbers. They are registered, uh, District 14 registered 6,039 Republicans, 1,821 Democrats. 
that is going to be really hard for her to explain. This is a bright red district. And if she goes over to the Democratic side, it will be at her own peril. Yeah, it's not going to end well for her, I think, regardless of how this uh, plays out, because the simple fact that she sided with the Democrats to put a Speaker of the House in that the Republicans weren't too excited about. And uh, either way, there's going to be consequences for her next election, I think. So, yeah, she should have uh, maybe just held back and and vote, but she had a deal with uh, Zach Freeman to, I mean, Zach, uh, not Zach Freeman, I'm sorry, Zach Fields. That's a, that's funny right there. But um, <laughs> to, to put in um, Louise Stutes from Kodiak, and Louise Stutes has not caucused with the Republicans for many, many years. And basically, she is the the classic Republican in name only. She caucuses with the Democrats. She's the one who sort of forges those, those deals with them. And uh, I think that that's a real tricky thing for, uh, for Kelly to have done. Uh, when she voted with all the other Democrats for Louis Stutes for uh, speaker and none of the Republicans voted with her, I don't think she had a plan after that. And that's just not, not typical. So want to remind people that there's some other things going on. Um, tell them about our social media stuff. Tell them about what happened to our YouTube channel and, and that one amazing video that we had. Where people so find we, it now? We, uh, we have been censored by YouTube. So we knew the day would come. We knew that oh, yeah. uh, spreading the truth that the folks on the left do not like that. They don't like the fact that there's folks out there that are combating against the lamestream media. And so we knew eventually we'd be censored and we have been. It's funny, the, the video that we were censored with or from uh, was almost comical because it was basically just clips of the uh, Anchorage uh, assembly meeting. And so we just compiled some clips together and put them in a video with some uh, you know, different intros and outros. And literally the exact same video can be seen on the uh, Anchorage municipality's own YouTube channel. And uh, so it's funny that they would censor us for literally just presenting a public meeting when the exact same public meeting is being able to be watched on somebody else's others, other, another person, another entity's YouTube channel. So because of that, we are gonna be moving to Rumble. We're still gonna be posting things on YouTube, but we're gonna be primarily Doing, doing our video content on Rumble. So you can find us on Rumble. Just go to Rumble and look up Must Read Alaska. We're the first and only one that pops up. Parlor just came back online today. So we're going to be posting on uh, Parlor from here on out. We hope that it stays up. We're on MeWe and we're on Caucus Room and uh, Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it, we're on it. And uh, we're our numbers are skyrocketing. Uh, just this last 30 days or so, we've reached... Uh, a couple million people just on Facebook. Uh, we've had about six or 700,000 people interact with us on Facebook, and we've reached a couple million people just on Facebook, uh, and about the same uh, through Google and some other channels as well. So our numbers are literally in the millions of people that we're reaching every single month, and it's because of people like you that are listening, watching, and reading, and we, we're very thankful that you are interacting with us. Yeah, and and how about our app? Can you how many how many people are are using our app now? I'm pretty excited about this because we just launched it at Christmas. Yep. So we just launched this at Christmas, and again, this was kind of our Christmas gift to you all. Uh, a lot goes into an app. Uh, it's a lot of work to put together an app. 
that is going to be accepted into the Apple App Store, the Google Play, uh, Play Store. And so we worked on this for a while. We got it launched. And we have between the two platforms, we have about a thousand people that have downloaded it, which we're excited about. And we want to encourage you if you're listening and you've downloaded it to go leave us a review. And uh, if you haven't downloaded it, please go download it because you can very simply, it feeds you the information of every news story that we produce right to your app. And you don't have to go to Safari or if you don't like to use, there's people out there that don't like to use Facebook. They don't like to use Twitter. They don't like to be on these left-leaning social media platforms. You can go to our own uh, fully owned app and check out all the news stories that we would ever publish right then and there in the Mustry Alaska app. Yeah. And, 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 you know, one out of every 730 people in Alaska now has that app downloaded. That's pretty exciting. <laughs> That's so, pretty awesome. So I like next, next week, I want to, I want to be able to say that one out of every 300 Alaskans has that app downloaded. It is a really good app. And you did a lot of great work on that. I appreciate it. And it's all you. you. You did the whole thing. It was amazing. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. So check out more stories at mustreadalaska.com. I'm going to be doing a deep dive into the finances of uh, Forrest Dunbar, who's running for mayor. And you're not going to want to miss this. I've got some good stuff on this. And it's, it's going to be pretty interesting. Thank you, John Quick. I love working with you. I love working with you, uh, Scott Levesque. Thanks for being our, our producer and our Wednesday uh, podcast host. If you're a supporter of Must Read Alaska, I just want to thank you. You're making it possible for us to stand up for what's right in Alaska. And if you support the conservative side of the news, just hit the donate button on the right-hand side of the page. Your support allows this project to stay strong, independent, thoughtful, and always standing against that big blue wave of the liberal activist media. So until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska.